Hello, everybody. It's good to see all of you. I hope that you are all doing well and that you had a good week and um, this fall season is going well for you. Um, it is uh, great to see so many people out today. We have a great, great attendance here. And so uh, welcome to everybody. Good to see all of you here. You can open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're heading into the book of Nehemiah now, having finished the book of, of Ezra and um, uh, Haggai, I believe, right, Ryan? And Haggai, yeah. And so um, we're continuing our study on Revive, specifically looking at these books here uh, that were from the uh, post-exilic period in the Old Testament. If you have no idea what that is, that's okay. <laughs> I'll explain a little bit about what that is. But before I do that, um, two weeks from today, we will have our chili cook-off. Now, I know most of you understand that. Chili is a good thing. And we'll also have a dessert contest. And I'm super excited about that. Stephen Aguaya from our Harlem ministry will be here to speak for us. Please invite people out. Uh, have people come with you. And uh, let's everyone bring something, you know, if you can't bring the chili or the dessert, maybe bring some bread, bring some salad, bring a side dish, bring something, and we'll all share a meal together, and it'll be a great, great day together. I just, I, I have to say this, okay, but my spirit is bursting over right now, because, <laughs> yeah, and it's a silly thing to share, at a church service, but my, my home football team, Tennessee, beat Alabama yesterday, which hasn't happened in almost two decades, and it went down to the last play of the game, a, a final second field goal with actually 2-1-0 clicking off the scoreboard as the ball was kind of going all kinds of directions through the goalpost, and uh, I don't know. It was just one of those moments that I was just like so overwhelmed with joy. And it spills over to this morning still and might spill over for the rest of my life. Uh, it was such a glorious moment. And they are 6-0, and oh, which is unbelievable, undefeated this season, which I hope I didn't just jinx them by saying that. But you know, honestly, if they, if, if they lose the rest of the games, they beat Alabama. I mean, come on. That's amazing. And so, oh, now I have to calm myself down, you know, and this is the way Ryan Irby was all last Sunday when he was preaching. He was so fired up, and it was so good to see. Um, but, you know, joy in, in the 4-8 uh, uh, principle book, it talks so much about joy, and joy can come from many different places in our life. But when you experience joy, grab it, hold on to it, hug it. Uh, because sometimes it dissipates, you know, and goes away with the next thing that might hit you. So while it's there, that's why I have this, this silly smile on my face um, that I'm going to keep for a while. So Nehemiah chapter one. In, in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see really two books that are probably one book. They're one book in the Hebrew Bible, and more than likely they were on one scroll, but then through the centuries have been separated. That's why we treat these books together. That's why we read them together. And they cover quite a bit of time when you look at um, the beginning of Ezra all the way through uh, Nehemiah. 
Mark Roberts notes that Ezra came to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes, you'll be quizzed on that later, King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. So if as we suppose then it refers to Artaxerxes I, then Ezra began his, began his work in 558 BC. Nehemiah 2.1 dates the beginning of Nehemiah's effort in Jerusalem to the 20th year of Artaxerxes or 445 BC. So that's that's basically 13 years between um, Ezra and his ministry and then Nehemiah, although there is an overlap. So you, there's a few years there, but there's many years between all of them. So they're loud over there, which is good. It's good that the children are having a good time. That's fantastic. Um, but here's the thing that happens in both these books. Revival begins. There's been an exile. The children of Israel were taken captive. Uh, and they were, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And then they were taken captive into Babylonia, which then was defeated by Persia. So now we have the Persian Empire, but they're still in captivity. But many of them long to go home. They long to go back to Jerusalem. And they want to go back to rebuild their city. They want to go back to rebuild their temple. They want to go back to rebuild their altar. They want to go back to rebuild their covenant community and worship God again like they used to worship him. But many, many years pass between the exile and when they're now able to come back. 586, 587 BC, the temple was destroyed. And now we're talking about the year 445 BC. So that's many, many years. And when we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, there are some things that we see. The people in Ezra rebuild the altar. That's the first thing they did. That's where they started. They looked for revival by re rebuilding sacrifice. They laid the foundation of the temple, which was great. But then it took Haggai and Zechariah to come on many years later, come on the scene many years later, and finish the rebuilding of the te temple. And then Ezra enters the scene. And he restores covenant and renews the covenant of the people with God. Now in Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem still haven't be, been rebuilt. And in an ancient city, walls were important, not just for the people that lived inside the city. But if you've ever been, I've been to Jerusalem, there's still a wall around uh, the old city of Jerusalem. Everybody that would live outside that wall, all the farmers and the, the day workers, Whenever there was anything on the horizon that looked ominous, they would head into the walls of the city, and then they would find security there. And so if it was an opposing army, or if it was um, a natural disaster coming on the scene, like a sandstorm, everybody would head into the walls of the city. So the walls of the city meant safety, and there, there wasn't safety at that day and time. And so Nehemiah hears about this, and Nehemiah wants to get involved in helping to rebuild the city. And then there is also in Nehemiah another covenant renewal with Ezra and Nehemiah both involved. Uh, revival includes different types of people, not only different types of things that you do, like rebuilding an altar, rebuilding a temple, rebuilding um, walls, renewing covenant, but also Ezra was a priest. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he was involved in the revival or the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. But then Nehemiah was very different. Nehemiah, we learn at the end of chapter one, was the cupbearer to the king, cupbearer to the most prominent and powerful person 
in the Middle Eastern Empire at the time, Artaxerxes I of Persia. And that shows that Nehemiah was involved in politics. And so he was a political leader. He was also going to become a religious leader. But these two people were very different types of people, but God used both of them. And that's the thing. God will use anyone who has the heart for revival. God wants his people to be revived, but it takes heart. And anyone that's willing to use their talent, open up their heart to God, God will use them. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, it's good that we're not all the same. It's good that we have different gifts and different personalities. And God will use anyone who opens up their heart to be used. Now, as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, the first seven chapters are a memoir by Nehemiah. We're most likely actually reading his words in the first seven chapters. And then Ezra and other people get involved in the other part of the book. But let's focus now on Nehemiah chapter 1, okay? That's the background. You guys still with me? Okay. Let's read verses 1 through 3. And in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 3, we're going to, lead, we're going to learn about the situation. And we're going to see that there is a need for revival. This says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, in the next verse, we're going to learn his response. But first, we see the situation. Nehemiah was in Susa when this occurred. That was the winter lodging for the Persian king. Today, it's located in modern Iraq, very close, uh, Iran rather, very close to the Iraqi border. And it's the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. He reigned, yeah, I know you're getting all of this. I know that you're writing everything down. He reigned from 465 to 423. And the date for Nehemiah 1 is 445 BC or BCE. The month is Chislev, which is late November, early December. I knew, I, you wanted to know that, right? You needed to know that when I read that. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's late November, early December. And a little later, we're going to learn that, Arde, that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the most powerful person in the ancient Near Eastern world at the time. He gets a report from one of his brothers, and it talks about the condition of these survivors in Jerusalem. And it says that they are in great trouble and shame. Now, trouble we probably understand. I mean, the walls have been destroyed. They have no way to protect themselves without these walls. Anyone could just walk into the city and hurt people. And, and so that's the trouble that's going on. But why shame? Well, historically, a famine had seized the land. And we know that many of the survivors were actually forced to sell themselves and to sell their children into forced labor to pay for their debt. We also know that the economic hardship had created an unhealthy distribution of wealth. And so there was an unfair advantage 
being taken uh, by the wealthy. Uh, and people were put into situations in which they basically could not survive. So they were even mistreating each other. And that's the shame that was occurring in the land. But here's the thing that I want you to see. Nehemiah heard that, and God put it on his heart to do something. Okay, when we look around us, I think that we can see that there are areas where we still need revival. There are areas where when we look and we think about, oh, how are we doing as a community? How are we doing as a church? Look around and see where are the needs? There are definitely needs. And when we look at those needs, how do we respond when we see the needs of the community around us? I'll talk a little bit more about those needs in just a minute. But let's look at the response now. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I, that's Nehemiah, heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see Nehemiah's reaction to the news. He sat down, he wept, he mourned for days, he fasted, he prayed before the God of heaven. Why is there such a strong emotional reaction from Nehemiah? I mean, these walls were destroyed 142 years before this report. 142 years. That's a long time. We take that back in our time, on our timetable. That's 1880. Imagine something happening in 1880, and you hear about the result of it lasting to today, and you sit down and you mourn and you weep for days. You fast over this. Why such a strong reaction? Well, it's because Nehemiah, although he's separated by hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, and all these, although he's separated for almost a century and a half from the destruction of the city, he still considered it his city. He still considered the people there his people. They were his community. And even though he had never been there in person, his heart was there because he considered it the Zion, the city of God, where the temple of God was, where the presence of God was. And my point is, even though we might be okay, even though you might be okay, look around because not everyone is. And we need to close that gap, whether it's a gap of distance or whether it's a gap of time, or whether it's a gap of, I'm okay, I don't know how everybody else is doing. We need to close that gap, and we need to feel where the community really is. And we need to experience the hurt of people. And we need to see where people are spiritually. This is what Nehemiah did. And so he made it his own. He owned it himself. And he sat down, and he wept for days, and he fasted. And he prayed to God, and we even have his prayer here, and it's an amazing prayer. This first chapter is a wonderful chapter. I mean, you have uh, the, the situation, you have the response, you even have the prayer itself. And so let's look now at verses 5 through 11. It says, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant, 
that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have committed against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word you commanded your servant Moses. If you are faithful, I will unfaithful, I will scatter you among all the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I, at the time, I was, and this is where we learn, he was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah really is a book of prayer. There are nine prayers in the book of Nehemiah. And a great study of the book of Nehemiah, as we read through it together, is to focus on the prayers. Some of them are long, like this. Other ones are one verse, like in chapter 2, verse 4. But I encourage you, as you read through Nehemiah, see if you can find for yourself the nine prayers in the book of Nehemiah, and then make them your own. In this prayer, we see a few things. I'm going to point out three things, and then the lesson will be yours, okay? I promise I'm not going to spend 10 minutes a point. You're probably thinking, three more points? Oh, no, that's a long sermon. No, no, no. Judge from this first point. It's going to be very quick, okay? The first thing you see in this prayer is praise. Praise to God. That's always a great way to start your prayer. By honoring God, by praising God, by holding up his name. Lord, this is in verse 5. Lord, God of heaven. Great and awesome who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word hesed there. Hesed means love, mercy, uh, compassion, peace. Um, it's a way of talking about God really caring for his people. With those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah begins by acknowledging the greatness of God. And that's always a good place to start. This praise helps us, give, helps us gain perspective that God is God and we are not. We are his servants. We are his people, but he is God. And we learned way back in Ezra chapter 1 that it's, Ez, that it's God who leads revival. He stirs revival. He stirs the heart of revival. And so we tap into God's greatness and look around and see where we can be helpful to other people. If we hurt for people, then we can understand that hurt even deeper by looking at how much God hurts for people. I mean, if you think you hurt for people, think how much God hurts for people. This taps us into thinking about how much God loves. If we have compassion, Think about how much God has compassion. Begin with praise. God is an awesome God. He deserves our praise. That's point one. See, that wasn't 10 minutes, right? That was pretty quick. Okay. Now, second point is confession. Confess. 
Okay, this is going to be 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm just kidding. This will be quick too. Nehemiah says, you look in the verse here, notice that he says, my sin. He says, our sin. He says, my family's sin. He confesses his own sin here. And he talks about how he was involved in the city not having walls in the condition of the people. But how is that possible? I mean, there's a 140-year gap, but he owned it himself. Nehemiah wasn't there when the city was destroyed. It wasn't literally his sin or the sin of his family that happened 140 years earlier, okay? Maybe his great-great-grandparents, but not his family and certainly not him in the present time. Yet he took ownership. He took ownership for where the community still was, where it had been and where it was. And so he says the sin of the people, but also the sin of my ancestors, but the sin that I've committed, the sin in my own life. Now, biblical scholars, and here's a great theological term for you here, they call this the community lament or community confession. And the idea is that any hurt within the community is all of our hurt. That if, that if part of the community isn't doing well, then we all own that, that that is happening. And so we all admit we've, we've let this go on, go on too long, or we should have done something earlier. And we admit, you know, I've had a hand in this. And so wherever the community is right now, I've had a hand in it. And it, it's a way for us to have ownership in the present situation and the present condition. And you know, when I look around the church locally today, and I'm talking about the Hudson Valley region right now of the New York City Church of Christ, I perceive that we have gaps. I perceive that there are weaknesses. I perceive that there are things that we should work on together as a community. And I perceive that I have had a hand in all of this. That part of the reason we are where we are is because I've had a hand in it all. That I should have had more conversations. Maybe I should have spoken up louder, although I did speak up. Maybe we all let things go on too long. And do we own it? Do we own it? Do we see we've had a hand in it? I see that I've had a hand in it. I look around and I see that some of us are still in a COVID fog. We are. We've been in a COVID fog for a long time. And some of us, spiritually speaking, are still in a COVID fog. And how does that fog manifest itself? Where we, we've been a church that one of the great things that we have done is volunteered. We were a church that just volunteered for everything. And now I look around and, and it's the same people teaching our children for months and months and months, even though the call's gone out. Would some other people please volunteer to teach our children? But obviously to teach our children on Sunday, you have to be here on Sunday to teach the children. It's setting up equipment. The same people do it all the time. Breaking down equipment. The same people do it all the time. Making meals for people. Whenever that would go out, somebody has lost a loved one. 
Let's send them a meal. It used to be that people were so responsive to that, but they're not as responsive right now. I'm talking about us as a community. We're not as responsive right now. And it's mostly the same people volunteering over and over and over again. Where, where are we in that? Our Sunday services, you know, it's great to see so many people out with us. So many people are back on Sunday. But I just want to just say, you know, if you are continuing on with your normal schedule, showing up for work, going to the store and the gym, doing other activities, but you don't come out to church on Sunday in person, then why? Why is that the case? Now, if you're sick, I get that. In fact, if you're sick, please stay away, okay? We're heading into the flu season. Don't bring your sickness here with all of us. If you're sick, please, I'm serious, please, please stay away. But if you're going about your normal week and you just sort of, uh, you know, hit the restart button on life and you're going back through your normal week, then why not include Sunday morning? Why not come out and be with us? And I want to take part, I want to take ownership of that, partial ownership of it. Because I feel like we let things go on too long. But it needs to stop. And I just want to encourage, I want to implore, I want to ask. Look at your life. And is, are you engaged in everything except Sunday morning? Then why? Why is that the case? I know personally how easy Zoom can be. And I don't think we should just turn Zoom off because it serves. We are heading into a season when people are going to be sick. And so I don't want to just turn Zoom off, but I do want to ask, if you can be here, why not be here? And not just for yourself, but for the community, for everybody else that would love to see you. Are you here to encourage people? Are you here to help other people grow spiritually? Are you here to be involved in everything that's happening? Are you present? I went on a walk this week. I love to go on walks. And I have this, this trail that I go on. It's very close to my house. And um, I was walking, and uh, it's through the woods. And so there are roots on the ground. There are rocks on the ground. And I almost, I almost had a terrible, terrible accident. I was on the path. And this rock just jumped up from the soil and grabbed my, I know I'm serious, just jumped up from the soil and grabbed my left shoe. And I, I, I was minding my own business, just enjoying the walk. And this rock decided I'm going to trip that guy. And it jumped up from the soil and hit my left shoe. And I started going left. I started tottering left. And, and I looked over and I was on a ledge and there was a 10 foot drop right there. Okay. You know, when things, when things like that happen, they go in slow motion, you know, you get in this accident and your brain just slows everything down. Well, I looked over the ledge and I saw there's water right there and there's a huge, there are huge rocks right there. I'm going to aim for the water. Okay. I'm heading for the water right now. And I'm just going in slow motion. I trip over this rock. I look down. I see. And I, my first thought is, this is going to hurt. <laughs> it's just a matter of how bad it's going to hurt. But this is going to hurt. And I'm looking over. And I'm trying to figure out, OK, how can I land in the water? How can I land in the water? And then I look up. And I see two trees right here. 
on the side of the ledge. And one of them is about an inch in diameter. And I thought, no way that tree's gonna hold me up. There's no way I'm picking that tree. It was a twig, basically. And I thought, if I pick that tree, the tree's going down with me. But there was another tree just beside it that was about three inches in diameter. And I thought, I've got a chance, okay? I don't know if this tree will hold me either, but at least I have a fighting chance. And so as I'm heading over this ledge, I reach out with my right arm and I grab the tree, not with my hand, but I hug the tree. I put it right here in my elbow and I'm falling and I'm falling and I reach out and I grab this tree. And the next thing I know, I'm hanging over the ledge with this tree right here, this tree saving me, you know? And I'm just like, oh, thank you, tree. This, you are so, I am so happy you were here, tree. And then I, I work myself back up and the tree's fine. The tree saved me, but the tree's fine. I went back the next two days. And every time I passed by that tree, I stopped. I patted the tree. I said, thank you, you are my best friend. I mean, I don't have a lot of friends, but you are like my best friend. I took some of the water out of my water bottle and I watered the tree. And I was so grateful that that tree was there. And you know, you never know when your presence might be the thing that encourages somebody to hang in there. That was beautiful how I did that, right? You see that? That was beautiful, yeah. You, you just don't know how your presence might be the, the thing that puts a smile on someone's face and lifts them for the rest of the week. You never know how your presence might help somebody to feel encouraged because of the word that you said, or not even the word, maybe just the hug that you gave them, or maybe the high five. Or just the fact that you're there brought them in and they feel stronger because of that. That's what community is. That we all come together and we're there, not because of what I'm going to get out of it, but because of what I bring to it. And I think I really appreciate that we have this type of community where we can bring something there to each other and for each other. Are you a part of that? That's the question. Are you a part of that? We are stronger when we're all together. We're more spiritual when we're all together. We serve more needs when we do it all together. We each need to own our part in revival. You know, Nehemiah, I don't know if I said this yet, but Nehemiah was 848.5 miles away from Jerusalem when he got this revelation. Okay, I'm gonna, something needs to happen with this city. He was almost 850 miles away, but it was on his heart. And he made a decision, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go there because I need to be present with them. And then he shows up. And because of that, the rest is history. We'll read about it. The walls are rebuilt, the community is restored, partly because Nehemiah made a decision, I'm going to be present. I'm, I'm too far away. I'm going to be present. What about you? What about you? 
Let's be that tree that keeps other people from falling over the ledge. Point number three, petition God. Ask God, petition God. Okay, Nehemiah prays, God, give me success. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, this man probably was Artaxerxes I, the most powerful person in the, in the ancient Near Eastern world at the time. It's more than likely he was about to go in and see the king since he was the cupbearer to the king. And so he prays this prayer before he goes to see the most powerful person in the world. And he says, God, give me success. And that's a great petition to make. Um, there's a pause in the story here because we, we don't really know what's going to happen right now. But it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that you just stop and you're like, ah, he set his mind. And he gave his heart to God. And we should ask God for success. Success as God defines it. Not necessarily as we define it. But success as God defines it. Nehemiah was, was asking God to use him to revive his people who were in trouble and shame. What are your prayers like? What is your plan to help revive God's people? Nehemiah had talent. And he was going to use his talent to revive God's people. Nehemiah actually had position, and he was going to use his position as a cupbearer to the king to help revive God's people. Nehemiah had resources because of the king, and he was going to use those resources to revive God's people. Most of all, Nehemiah had heart, and he was going to use his heart to revive God and his people. What are you planning to do? What are we planning to do? How can each of us help revive God's people? How will, you, how will you decide to use your talent? How will you decide to use your resources? How will you decide to use your heart to revive God's people? As we re read on in Nehemiah, we will see specific ways in which Nehemiah uses gifts to revive God's people. As we read Nehemiah's memoir, let's learn from Nehemiah and let's reflect on our own lives. Let's not just read this as history that happened in the past, but let's read this as something that Nehemiah did that we can recreate in our own lives today. And let's see what all of us can do to help revive God's people. Amen.